This episode of Desperately Seeking Entertainment is brought to you by Keene State College. Learn more with confidence. 40 programs that won't stress your budget. Apply now at keene.edu. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Desperately Seeking Entertainment, your source and home for all entertainment commentary. I am one of your hosts, Mr. Chris Peterson, founder and editor-in-chief of Onstage Blog, which hosts this lovely podcast. And joining me, as always, is Mr. Ben Frawley. How are you, sir? What's going on, Chris? What's up, people around the world, theater people, entertainment people? What's going on? I hope you're ready for today. We got a lot of shit to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're ready to go, my man. You've been chomping at the bit all weekend for this. This weekend, I just I did my job. I just did I did some work, and I I watched everything and anything that you know was just ready for me to ingest as far as media and nom 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 nom. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing folks. If in case this is your first time listening to this podcast first of all shame on you no but seriously um no honestly it's it's been amazing to see the growth of this podcast but uh if this is your first time what we'd like to do here is basically take five topics or interesting facts or stories that's going on in the entertainment industry across all mediums and and discuss them here but the kicker is i have no idea what ben's going to come up with and he has no idea what i'm going to say either so that's why you're getting some some genuine surprises and commentary and reactions here so there's nothing planned at all and afterwards we're going to go youtube and we're going to go right. down that that wonderful wormhole and talk about some of the things that we watched uh, this week on that glorious glorious website so without further ado Ben, I know you said you got a lot of shit this week, so let's let's just let's just kick it off. Go ahead, my man. Okay, uh, first off the bat, one of the biggest things that had an impact on my life this weekend was uh, the Lonely Island's latest, uh, the Bash Brothers on Netflix about Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. Chris, did, did you have a chance to watch this? I did. I did. <laughs> uh, just thought silk robes and kimonos. Uh, <laughs> it was Oakland Knights. Um, Oakland Knights. <laughs> I got to tell you, you expect certain things from the Lonely Island at this point. This surprised me on every single level. Um, and the fact that all these cameos were just all in on it, I'm like, perfect. Um, but yeah, no, if, if folks, if you've ever seen like Beyonce's Lemonade or things like that, that's what this was basically, except it was about right. Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. It, was, it, was it based off of Canseco's book? Was that like the stories that came from it? From his book, well, juiced, yeah, juiced. juiced okay, was the name gotcha. Of the book, yeah, right. <laughs> Crazy. I don't know if it was named. I mean, that, <laughs> all right. So first of all, it's great. And actually, I don't want to say that I'm like a psychic or anything, but I was thinking, I was like, man, I wonder where the Lonely Island is. You know what I mean? They haven't put out anything as like all of them are working inside the industry, directing, producing, doing everything. You know, Brooklyn Nine Nine, everything. And I was like, man, we haven't seen like or heard like a, a video in a while. And this, I swear, I I thought this like beginning of the month. And then they tease something Wednesday and then boom, Friday, it was either Friday night or Saturday morning. This thing came out right out of the door, just <laughs> out of control. There, I have so many questions. I have so many questions. Chris, I don't know if you thought it was, so, I mean, <laughs> they're pretty much slandering Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. <laughs> like, do they have to get permission to do any of this? No, actually, <laughs> that's, that's the, 
that's the beauty about libel laws and 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 um, copyright is that if as long as you're doing a parody of some sort, you can get away with most of anything. No way. Yeah. So like, if I want, they say Mark McGuire has the one ton Jimmy and the itty bitty sack. They can get away with that. <laughs> they, can, they can actually get away. With that. <laughs> this was so out of control. Oh. Like one of my some of my favorite Lonely Island. I don't know if you've ever seen if you've seen all their videos, but one of my favorites is We Like Sports. Yes. And and uh, we'll kill you. Those two are my favorites. And this just hit that flavor of hardcore gangster rap, but at the same time, just picking a topic that's so ludicrous, <laughs> like the 1989 Oakland A's. I don't know if they just read my mind. You know, here I am like watching Red Sox as we're talking right now. And I feel like I'm just totally out of the loop of modern society because baseball in general is just, you know, it's fading in attendance. It's fading in like people watching it, but I still love the sport. And apparently these guys too, and they just needed to gangster rap about it for 30 minutes straight. And it's, it's nonstop. Like it just keeps going and going and going. It's, and, and they call it, what do they call it at the beginning? Like a visual poem or something like, or yeah, a visual poem or something like that. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. And yeah, they did not disappoint. It's, it's, it's such a high level. I can't, I watched like maybe a couple of the YouTube clips over and over again. I'm I'm trying to memorize the whole thing right now as we speak. So if I just slip into stuff, it's just because I've been watching it nonstop. I, I loved it. <laughs> did you get to see Pop Star Never Stop Popping? I did. Okay. And I couldn't finish it. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that one didn't hit for me. That's why I'm I, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's kind of why I brought this up because after that one <sighs> – I don't know. I get it. I just, I, I kind of, I, I thought it was like a one, a one kind of trick pony movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I kind of got it right off the bat where this, this is, I mean, I guess this one is too, but they just kind of went all out. I, I don't know. That one just kind of, it seemed like a safe play to yeah. me Yeah, where this is all out of control. Like there's so much swearing in it. I mean, <laughs> they pretty much made it for like me. <laughs> <laughs> just being a giant baseball fan in the late 80s and early 90s and i don't know and, and gangster rap i don't know i just Amazing. felt like it was a a poem to me <laughs> who is who's some of your favorite uh cameos chris oh gosh well i mean obviously sterling k my rudolph my rudolph was great right. sterling k brown was great right um jenny slade during that oakland mm-hmm. nights i mean she's she's a weird um actress not not in the sense of like you know she's weird in terms of her human being but like she's one of those interesting actresses who was terrible during her stint on snl and yet has done brilliant work since leaving the show and right like just nonstop. i mean she was amazing on parks and rec she's done some amazing like indie films and she does voice work now i mean she's all over the place and i'm like my god like leaving snl was like the best thing for her so um loved seeing her in that as well so yeah just just awesome awesome people left and right yeah and you know and it totally just reminded me of saturday night live in general you know what i mean you have mm-hmm. you have these alums from saturday night live you know of course um Shorman akiva they're the writers from snl and then of course andy sandberg was a performer all of them you know got on at the same time but just the level of funny that you can still bring, you know, and remember we, we talked about this on the podcast, you know, everyone kind of playing it safe, you know what I mean? Hey, we might, we don't want to offend our demographics or something like that. Right. And right. that's why this is so incredibly funny because they just don't care. 
They just nope. they they made this for themselves. They really did. <laughs> I mean, and I got to tell you, my wife my wife walked in. I was watching it um, actually two nights ago, and I got to the part where it's like weightlifting with women. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that part that is song. ridiculous. <laughs> and that's when my wife walked in the room, and she's like, "What is this?" And I was like, "Just sit down. I don't have to tell you anything about it." Um, just know that, you know, in 1989, the Oakland days were amazing and that's all you need to know. <laughs> and sure enough, like within five minutes, she was like, she was roaring with laughter as well. So yeah, that no, was awesome. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I mean, and, and maybe that's the answer is you just can't, when you're trying to be funny, you just can't worry about demographics or ratings or something. You know what I mean? No. And, you know, I, I was just listening to like an interview with Howard Stern and how that used to fuel him, you know, especially in terrestrial radio and that kind of fueled what he did on the air and it, you know, and to say that he would do things more shocking or more outrageous, that was even the point. It was like, he felt like he had to keep changing his format and keep bringing more and more and more, do faster interviews, do this. Cause he was so scared to lose ratings. Right. And I always thought that was really interesting. And like, once he went to satellite, he was like, all right, I have the audience already. Now I can do anything I want. What does that look like? You know what I mean? And he really mm -hmm. like toned down like big time with, you know, his outrageousness and actually did longer interviews, which is really interesting. He actually flipped the opposite of what you thought he was going to do. And it, and this just kind of brought back all of those thoughts of, well, first it brought back, you know, <laughs> slander laws and all that stuff. But then <laughs> it brought back just like how incredibly funny these guys can be and just how unfunny things are nowadays on, especially on, you know, safe media everywhere. Mm-hmm. No, you're you're 100 percent right, and even like, you know, even shows where, you know, I'm 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 trying to enjoy it. Like every now and then, they just insert like just either political relevance rev, uh, or messaging or bait and switch tactics. That I'm just like, like I didn't need that. Like, just let me enjoy oh, yeah. it. You know, like um, like I don't know. Do you watch Superstore at all? On NBC, yeah, I watched a little of that. A little yeah. bit. Of, so the season finale was last week, and one of their characters was uh, taken away by ice at the end. And I'm just okay. like, uh, okay, I guess, I guess this is what the next season is going to be all about and like sending messaging and things like that. I'm just like, stop, like just, just entertain, just entertain. Exactly. So, well, and, and I, you know, I watched a little bit more of uh, the season three of uh, Ash versus the evil dead, where it's just, and that, that show too is so self-involved and so not political, so so not anything that it's just out to be itself. Yeah. And maybe that's the secret. And that's why I'm like laughing at, you know, when, when you know, Ash Williams gets into a fight with a demon at the back room of a sperm bank. I mean, <laughs> there's no, there's nothing more funny in this world. Spo sorry, there might be a spoiler alert. Uh, I got to get on this show. I really got to get on this oh, show. Oh, you really uh. do. Um, so <laughs> There's so many ridiculous things happening. Speaking of that, I mean, I like the fact that Netflix, as a as a you know channel or channel, uh, a streaming network, is allowing a you know becoming a platform for these types of shows that are are really going for it. Like, I don't know, did you see the trailer? It just that just got released for Historic Roasts with Jeffrey yeah. Roth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't I haven't watched an episode yet, but that I mean, when you're talking about like the roasting of historical figures. Um, that's about as unPC as you possibly can get. Like a roast, a roast of Rosa Parks. Like, oh my god! <laughs> like, like with Gilbert Godfrey playing Hitler. I mean, that's just like oh. just throwing caution to the wind. And I love it. I love it. Yeah, and like you know, I think you said it a couple weeks ago. You know how Netflix has this giant hub of money to throw 
to people that have these passion projects. You know what I mean? These, mm -hmm. these things that the, where you can just do anything they want, but they're picking the right people and giving them the, the right amount of money to do anything. I mean, this half hour from the lonely Island must've been, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess at least $400,000 to produce at the very least, <laughs> at least at the at very, the very yeah. least. <laughs> I mean, maybe even half a mil and you only get a half hour, but it's the funny level is so high. And I could see, with another network, even if they let uh, like another network or another platform, could you see them saying, all right, well, a half hour won't work for us, gentlemen. We need to make this a series. So can you can you make it into a 12 episode series and then have a song at each one? Right, you know what I mean? Right. And where you kind of space out the funny and you could see it, it would stretch so thin after two episodes. You know what I mean? People would just be fast forwarding to the end to the song. And so. I'm just, I appreciate the format, I the visual poem or whatever it's called. I appreciate everything. It was just phenomenal. I just had to talk about it this week. That's awesome. Love it. All right. Well, my first pick is actually kind of right up your alley because you're, you're a musician, you're a singer. Do you, mm -hmm. Are you also a songwriter? Would you classify yourself as a songwriter as well? Uh, I mean, I've written songs. I don't Did know dabbled? if I'm Gordon Lightfoot or something. <laughs> gotcha. Well, Ben, I don't know if you saw, there's a brand new NBC show actually premiering tonight, May 28th, uh, called Songland. Have you seen commercials for this? No. What's uh, this about? So this is a competition where aspiring songwriters basically walk into a room very much like Shark Tank and basically pitch their song to producers and artists such as like John Le Legend and uh, the uh, Jonas Brothers and like just all these like this laundry list of artists and basically it's a competition so like if they like the song then they go and produce it and they go through this whole editing process and at the end they basically say like okay does this artist want to take this song on or it's something like that so basically it's a big songwriting competition which on it on its face sounds like a great idea like oh my gosh we're giving like a platform to songwriting and like actually going to see how that process works right of course it's corporate America, so they're going to ruin it somehow, right? So this is the caveat. Um, I don't know if you saw, but there's an article that's making waves now that shows the contract that these contestants have to sign to be on that show. And one of them is that uh, they basically have to waive all of their um, royalties and rights to the songs that they create for this show. Wow. So they they could create a hit for John Legend. He picks it. He decides to go off and, and use it in his next album, becomes the number one single. That songwriter gets nothing out of that. How do you feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I don't know if John Legend would take it, but then NBC could take it and give it to any one of their artists that's right. underneath their umbrella. More importantly, you know what I mean? I couldn't see like one of the judges actually taking it and then not kicking back. You know what I mean? Especially if you're a public figure, especially right. now that 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 thing is out there. But I mean, <clears throat> there's plenty of producers out there that write songs or albums and then give them to artists. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. uh, most famously, like Pharrell Williams, you know, he's been making a career out of making beats, producing songs his whole career. Of course he gets paid for being the producer, but I've heard stories about him coming up. I heard that I've heard like rumors that he almost, he barely got paid for, um, doing old dirty bastards, second album, producing almost the whole thing. Wow. And then, uh, you know, so the life of a producer, especially in like rap, hip hop and R and B, like where you're just making the beats and you're kind of a background player. That's kind of your life. 
So if they said, you know, if they called the show hip hop producer or something like that, and you're kind of, you know, that you're going to be in the back seat, that's one thing. But like when you're a singer songwriter, you're supposed to kind of, you know, write the song and then sing it. I, I don't yeah. know. That's, that's a toughie, Chris. That's really tough. I just think it's odd that like, okay, we want you to audition your, your song for these judges, but if we take your song and put it in any commercials, if we decide to release an album on iTunes, any of this stuff, we own it all. <laughs> like you get nothing out of this except for exposure. And I'm just like, ah, I don't know if I would, like, I'm submitting my best work for, you know, to get onto a show and then I'm not going to be able to get anything out of it. So oh, right. I don't know. It just, it just seems, and for a show that's supposed to be all about, you know, showcasing, you know, songwriting and, and, you know, aspiring songwriters, it just seems counterproductive, you know, like, I just, I don't know. It, it, it you know, Oh, I could see that. I could see like where you wouldn't bring your best stuff. Right. Totally. Like how do, how yeah. can I bring my best song to this this competition if I'm not going to see anything back for it? You know, it's just it's crazy. So I, I I don't. I mean, the shows shows premiering tonight. So obviously this this you know controversy has not stopped anything uh, in any way, shape, or form. Admiral Levine is actually producing it, and he's declined comment on this issue. So is NBC. So you know, we'll see if this becomes a bigger issue going forward. But um, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. And for someone like yourself, who is a musician, um, who's creating music and things like that, and knows people that create music, I'm, I'm pretty sure you'd have, you would have a pretty good pr- perspective on it. So absolutely. Yeah, it's, you know, it's so tough, because when you're making music, I mean, for a long time now, you just have to accept the fact that you're not going to make any money off of it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started doing this thing on my own, especially when the internet started getting, you know, more internet-y and you could do cool things and upload music and spread it. At first, everyone thought it was the same. Everyone thought it was the same as the 90s. Like, you know, put your stuff on a CD and then try to sell it out in public. Everyone tried that route. I remember for like years, people were trying to do that up here on my friends. And now it's gotten to a point where you better just make this music and try to spread it as far as possible even knowing that you're giving out for free. And I know there's websites out there like Reverb Nation where when you upload a track, if it's not already, you know, there's always creative rights, but they pretty much own that track too. They own all the revenue of the streams that they're getting off of your track. Mm -hmm. So unless there's, there's a couple other like um, uh, companies, like I think one's like CD baby where you can actually pay them and they'll put their, your stuff on Spotify and Amazon music and stuff like that. But that's still free. You, you pay them to put your music up. So no matter what, you're not seeing any kickback whatsoever. So I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of shocked about it, but for the most part, this is it. This is the wave of the future. And so like even going on a show mm-hmm. like that would be such a great opportunity. Like you said, to spread your word, you know, spread the word of your band or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, it'll be interesting going forward. We'll see. We'll see. All right, man. What else you got? All right, we're gonna switch. We're gonna switch it up totally. You ready? Sweet, sweet. I watched the exact opposite of the Bash Brothers this weekend, and um, <laughs> I watched uh, Peter Jackson's "They Shall Not Grow Old." Yes. Um. So this documentary, I think, it came out like last, I think, December or something like December, that. December. Yeah, like yeah. the holiday winter season. Yep. Yeah, and so it's a documentary by Peter Jackson. Um, where he took World War One footage and um, he does a voiceover over the top of real veterans talking about their time in the service. So there's no narration. It's um, footage. And then it's footage that they retouched and put into color. And it's some of the craziest things you've ever seen ever. Because until this point, 
We, you know, we've seen color World War II footage or, you know, World War II in color. We've never seen World War I in color. And this footage usually is that herky-jerky, you know, um, you know, start-stop footage, you know, like Babe Ruth running the bases kind of footage. Yep, yep. Um, You know, with a crank camera. And they were able to digitally process this. And let me tell you when that happens in this movie. So, like, the first part of the movie, they show you, like, the original footage. They show, you know, almost one-third of the frame is being used. And then 20 minutes in, it goes to widescreen. And you just see people's faces and bad teeth and <laughs> like <laughs> you know, trenches like rats yeah. and Ugh. you see everything yeah. and trench warfare is the worst it's just the worst experience it seems like on earth it's just awful and you know just mesmerizing footage and i love that documentary style there's there's a documentary i think it was called it's called um june 17th 1994 it was a 30 for 30 about the oj simpson chase Yes. And where they just have the different events, like the World Cup's going on, and they have, um, um, I think it's the NBA Finals are going on that day, and then they have the OJ Chase, and they intercut the commentaries from all the networks that day. And um, I love that style of filmmaking, especially if it holds your attention, where they just have footage and then audio from that day or audio from interviews, and there's no narration. I love that style. I don't know. And I, I swear that was one of the first times I ever saw that style put to use like in a full documentary, like a feature film documentary. So um, just great. I highly recommend it. Peter Jackson is just awesome. I've always loved that man. So it's so cool to see him go back to kind of a smaller format. Um, You know, no, no epic blockbuster here and just kind of, but you get that visceral sense of filmmaking. It's just good stuff. Definitely. No, I saw it a couple, couple weeks ago actually. And Oh, cool. Yeah, no, you're, you're a hundred percent right. I mean, when, I think it's the shot of the tanks like crossing a river and that's the moment when it goes wide and with the sound and you're just like blown away by it. And I thought it was brilliant that they actually hired actors that, you know, they, they read the lips of what they people were saying in the film. So yeah. they started adding in like voices and sound effects and all this stuff um, to really make it a, a cinematic experience. And it was brilliantly done. I mean, um, I can't. I, I'd have to look it up, but I think it was completely ignored by the Academy, which is just like I was wondering that. Such like, a was shame. Was it too late? Was it too late or no? It might have been too late. Um, okay, so it might be up next year, but that's silly. <laughs> it, it's an achievement in sound design. It's an achievement in in um, research and editing. I mean, it's just it's a marvel to watch. And I just looked it up. Unfortunately. It looks like it won't be eligible next year. It looks like it came out um, in that period and it just was was ignored. It was nominated for a BAFTA for Best Documentary, but that was it. Right. Oh, my God. I know. I mean, listen, I documentaries last year were like hot, hot, hot. I mean, there were crazy documentaries that were mm-hmm. not nominated, like the Mr. Rogers documentary and um, Three Deliberate Strangers. And uh, there was so many great documentaries last year. I get it. There was a big pool, but that, for this to be ignored is just it's a travesty. That's criminal. That's yeah, and and like you said, the historical preservation of everything. It was like what it was like seeing the Dead Sea Scrolls for the first time or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like a filmmaker taking his powers, you know, a creative person taking their powers and doing something good with them. You know, not necessarily. Uh, it it was to show the world things that we have never been able to see before. Really, I mean, you're right. seeing stuff, footage that no one has ever seen in the way that it's being shown. 
and you just well, you know what I find interesting is that you know Hollywood went through this like phase where we we saw a lot of stuff about World War II, like whether it was a Pearl Harbor, whether it was Band of Brothers, whether it was the Pacific. Like there's a lot of material and content about World War II, but we haven't really seen a lot about World War One. Um, I guess uh, Paths I mean, of Glory would be the only Paths of Glory. I mean, if if I was thinking of like movies that I've seen. Off the top of my head, that that feature World War One. I, I mean, Wonder Woman. I mean, right. it's like, yeah, right. There you go. Um, so you, we just really haven't seen a lot of it. So this is this is a phenomenal opportunity for for younger generations to see, you know, this this war uh, up front, and it's just absolutely incredible. You're you're 100 right. Yeah, dude. I, I just I was blown away. I was watching this thing, and you settle into this thing, and I don't. It was such a weird movie experience. It wasn't like. It wasn't like edge of your seat, but it's almost like you're transfixed. I almost went to like a hypnotic state and I just almost got transported there. And it was just so creepy and just, well, like, and like, I forget who I was telling this to. Oh, I think it was, it was my friend, Andy. I was, I was telling this to like how crazy it is. Like these people surviving one of the worst wars ever. I mean, it's hard to gauge war, but this is just terrible conditions, you know, trench foot and rats and (laughs) just death all around you. Mm. But anytime the camera pops up people are smiling and joking and waving to the camera because it's such a new technology you know it was probably shocking for people like hey the camera's here like hold on let me put down my (laughs) rifle and do it like a jig or something so that's like such a weird juxtaposition of what is being talked about and what you're seeing it's 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 very all over the place and they just did such a good job picking the footage It, it was so crazy like when they showed you know the kind of well, you know, this was one of the last times on Earth where you had a war where they were using gas weapons and just awful explosive devices that would shoot down from like, you know, mortar, mortar fire up top. And it was just it was just a horrible thing to live through. It was mm. terrible. Yeah. Uh, thank thank God I was born when I was. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, yeah, that I would not that I was not uh, drafted into that type of thing. But crazy craziness. So, yeah, folks, if you haven't seen um, They Shall Never Grow Old. Definitely, definitely get it. I mean, it's it's a shame you can't watch it in the theater anymore because it truly, I'm sure, it was a cr- crazy experience in the theater. Oh, but that must have been crazy. Ugh, ugh, I, I just get definitely watch it because it's 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 fantastic. So yeah, I rented it. I rented on the Memorial Day kind of. Uh, they had a bunch of war movies and stuff like that for sale, so I got that. Perfect. What awesome. a great way to spend Memorial Day. That's awesome. Um, all right. Well, my next topic, you know, it's kind of a downer, man. I apologize. This, I mean, we're both Red Sox fans. And wait, so wait, it's it's worse than trench warfare. <laughs> ooh, well, maybe maybe not that bad. Um, oh, all right, <laughs> it's worse. It's worse than talking about trench war. Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> I don't know where I was going to go with that. But um, you and I are both Red Sox fans, and of course. they're playing better. They're doing okay. Um, doing okay, like fifteen and seven over the last couple of games. I'll take it. Like I'll take it. Yeah, but we had a bad week this week. Uh, yes, we did. Two two news stories that have come out uh, over the past week. The first, uh, it looks like Dustin Pedroia is done, and yeah, yeah, you know he kind of came out with. A, a, I I saw a tweet saying like press conference announced today for Dustin Pedroia. I was like, oh, this isn't going to be good. And uh, sure enough, he's going to take some time away. He's obviously I don't think he's going to play at all this year. And he's thirty five. I I I think this was it. I think that we've seen the last of of Dustin Pedroia in a Red Sox uniform. Uh, as an active player. And then literally the same day, uh, we found out that, that Bill Buckner had passed away at uh, the age of 69, which seems mm-hmm. really young. Um, 
really young. But uh, Ben, yeah, I just wanted to get right. your perspectives on both Dustin Pedroia and and Bill Buckner. It always is sad, like when like a player passes away um, for your favorite team, but um, it is a weird part of professional sports when athletes get to the end of their career and they have to hang it up. And every athlete that has interviews, you know, even when, you know, whether it be A-Rod or whether it be like, you know, um, Ted Williams or, you know, Carl Yastrzemski or, you know, or Roger Clemens or something like that. They always talk about how hard it is to walk away from the game, to know when you're done. Mm. And it's just got to be so brutal. This thing that you've been playing since you were my kids at, you know, four or five that you love so much and you fought to get to that level to know that you're not at that level anymore. And, you know, no, no one really makes the transition back to the minors or something like that, unless you're going to manage or something like that. But that's not for every player is to be a manager. Not every player can be like an Alex Cora where they played and then just kind of were planning to be a manager at some point. So it's, it's gotta be extremely tough and it's just kind of one of those sad things, but that's why we love the game is the passing of like time, like long. Cause I remember when PD started, was that like Oh six or something like uh, that? I was, like, I was like, Oh six. So five, Oh six. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember this young kid coming up and he was great. The laser show, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he will be missed. And so will Buckner too. Yeah. Buckner was, it was very odd, you know, seeing tweets about Buckner and when he passed and a lot of people just being like, Oh, it's, it's terrible. And, but I mean, for someone who who took on a lot of unnecessary blame for decades, it it's one of those like, man, I don't. As a Red Sox fan, I don't think there's enough, you know, apologies right. to to what to give to Buckner, so to speak, and his family, because you know this is a guy that loved playing in Boston, had to literally move from Boston to Montana to get away from everything. And, you know, for, for 20 some odd years, like the Red Sox would call him and say, Hey, do you want to come back for this reunion? He's like, Nope, Nope. I'm just going to stay away. And then finally after, and he, after Oh four, he didn't even come back after Oh four. It took, it was actually Oh seven that he finally said, okay, I'll finally come back. So um, it's just amazing how, you know, we see a lot of these things happen nowadays uh, we see right. athletes make you know mistakes in key moments and, and important times, and are are blamed for loss and things like that. And yet, it doesn't feel like there's anything that's of recent memory that's at the level of Buckner, if that makes sense. Like, and I don't know, I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's because obviously it happened back in the 1980s, but it just seems like today, if that happened, it would be like a news story for like a day or a week, and then you know, something else would happen. <laughs> you know, like, well, and yeah, I, I think you're totally right. I mean, in today's 24 hour news cycle where we're constantly filtering through stories, I mean, it's you and me could, and well, there's a couple of reasons why we couldn't do this podcast back in the eighties or nineties, but <laughs> um, the, there's no way. I mean, you and me are easily, easily, you and I gather five news stories right off the bat every single week without any problems. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's what's crazy about it. And that's how fast the news cycle works nowadays and has worked for at least 20 years now. How fast we can just churn out stories and move on. Where the 1986 World Series, I believe it was game five, that you know, that that was a big story for years, years, and especially because of the curse of the Bambino, of course, that still went on till 04. Right. So, you know, you had another 20 years after that almost to 
<clears throat> blame him and keep watching that footage over and over again every time that there would be a Red Sox Yankees game. Every every single time there'd be a Red Sox Yankees game or when we started doing, you know, inter interleague play like you know, it was Mets Red Sox, they would show that play over and over again. It's it, it was <clears throat> and, and you know, you can't blame the networks, but that's what people wanted to watch and what they wanted to talk about. And, right. And if you really break it down, I mean, you know, not to get too into it, but I mean, it really wasn't his fault that they lost the World Series. I mean, no, I think it was game five, right? They had two game more six. games. To, game, game six. six. They, so they had a whole other game to screw up. <laughs> Plus, I mean, Mookie Wilson hitting that ball down the, the first baseline, that was the winning run. They had already tied the game up by. You know, Bob Stanley giving up base hits or wild, you know, Chiraldi, you know, doing wild pitches left and right. So, like, you know, it's just that one play that just scored the winning run that ended that game. Um, and actually, what was funny was I think it was like ESPN did this like back in like 0203. Um, they did this like sports science thing where they basically proved that even if he had gotten the ball in his glove based on Mookie Wilson's speed and where he was on the base path he wouldn't have beat out Mookie Wilson to the, to the bag. Like it, Oh, get out of here. Like, Cause he, oh, he wow. fielded it deep, uh, almost in the grass. Um, right. and they, they basically said like, if he had caught it, you know, the Bill Buckner was on the later half of his career. He had bad knees at that point. So they basically said like, there would be no, almost no chance he would actually get to the bag in time. And the winning run would have scored anyway. Like, it's like, Oh my God. Like that would have been, you know, crazy. But, um, yeah, no. So I just I I I felt really terrible for for Bill Buckner for a number of years, especially after we won the World Series. Um, but I mean, I, I was glad to see that that he he welcomed Boston back, so to speak. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, it's so weird how like at the end of an athlete's career, how what their legacy is going to be, because you know you have Pedroia who was active at least for two world series, but might have three rings. Cause he was on the team. Correct. Last year. Yeah. He'll technically get a ring. Yep. Yeah. Right. Um, so you have three rings. He'll be remembered for just great play. You know what I mean? Being a little guy that can, you know, he, he would hit a ball at his, his eyes and shoot it out to right field. And just, you know, just that legacy will be cemented. Definitely a Boston Hall of Famer. I don't know about his numbers for the Hall of Fame. I don't think. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I think injuries got the better of him. But I mean, of from course. from like '08 to like oh, you know, 2010, 11. I mean, he was just he was the best second baseman in baseball. Like, period. In baseball, easily. Yeah, easily. he could have gone anywhere, but you know, he he didn't. You know what nope. I mean? He was a career Red Sox, and that was just awesome. And um, you know, he's definitely up there as far as second baseman in the in the game in general. But then mm -hmm. you have this. You have Bill Buckner, who's who has better numbers career wise, but has that tarnished legacy because of that one play. That one play. That's it. Craziness. Craziness. Well, rest in peace, Bill Buckner. And thank you. Yes. Absolutely. All right, man. What else you got? All right. Um, so uh the I'm gonna talk about the movie Aladdin, Chris. Oh. With uh Will Smith. Uh we've been talking a lot about these reboots as far as Disney and the reviews are in and they're not so good. Nope. To uh, Aladdin, uh, and I didn't realize this until I was reading these reviews. Uh, Guy Ritchie directed this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I was Esquire.com. Um, Guy Ritchie's Aladdin is unfortunately not a cocaine-addled crime thriller. <laughs> that was the name of the review. <laughs> oh, so man. and then you know uh, Aladdin on RogerEbert.com. They just said it was just boring, just so boring. All the same beats, 
are and all the same laughs are from the cartoon. They didn't really add anything to it. They're still the same exact same movie. And just like how we said, the cash grab kind of, you know, the Olympics is on at Disney. You know, let's just redo all these movies and not really change a lot. You know, the Lion King's coming out, Jungle Book, uh, all Dumbo, this one. They're just redoing these things. I don't, I don't know why. So, Chris, any thoughts on this thing? <laughs> any just the cash grab is here or any other thoughts on this? Cash grab is here. You know, I read a good uh, – there's an interesting article basically saying like, look, nothing that we say is going to change Disney's mind about doing these things. They're going to want to make the money. They know that they can get at least a quarter of a billion dollars profit out of these things. So each time they do it. So like I think – a lot engrossed, so I think ninety million for the entire weekend, and it's on pace to do like two seventy five domestically, probably. Jesus. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's just domestically. That's I got to get into kid movies in. and kid books, dude. Just, <laughs> right, just gotta do right, it exactly. Um, the thing, the thing that kills me though is from an artistic level, there's nothing interesting. There's nothing um, elevating these films, and at at the very best you're shooting for an as good as type of level. You're not going to outdo the original animated film. Beauty and the Beast didn't do no. it. Um, Dumbo certainly didn't do it. Um, Lion King interests me a little bit more just because of the technology and, and apparently you've got some some new songs by Elton John and stuff like that. So that that has a little bit more potential. But again, it's like, what are we going for here? And in, in are we, you, obviously you want to get the kids market and you want to get the adults for that sense of nostalgia. But I just, I can't, I can't stand it because it's not original. It's not interesting. Now, if you wanted to do something interesting like a Aladdin sequel, live action sequel or a prequel or taking the character- right. And, and putting a different spin on it, like the Sleeping Beauty stuff that they've done earlier. Okay, I can I can kind of get on board with that. But yeah, when you're just doing a straight up live action remake, which you you just mentioned is the same beats, the same songs, the same jokes. I mean, it's just like ugh, okay, and uh, yeah, just I'm not I'm just not about it. And and like you said, there is no end in sight. No, for this. there's you know we've got Lion King. Uh, we've got uh, Little Mermaid on the on the horizon. Oh, Mulan is coming out next year. Uh, Melissa Fent Two is coming out this fall. So again, it's like Disney's Disney's drunk right now. They're drunk, and they're just like we can do whatever we want because Marvel money, Star Wars money, like we we can do whatever we want, and and people will go see it. So got that diaper money. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Got that money just pump it in, and you know. Why not, you know, and let's let's really talk about Aladdin. I mean, it's really a remake of an old kind of classic movie, The Thief of Baghdad, you know what I mean, which is from the 40s. Great animation, like almost like Wizard of Oz kind of for I think it's 1940. Yep. Right around Wizard of Oz, and that's kind of a remake of that in itself. So if you're going to do like a sequel, why not just remake Thief of Baghdad, a movie really people have kind of forgotten, but you could kind of make it its own. But I just yeah, there's a great YouTube series and it's uh, VFX people talking about bad CGI in movies and just they talk about how the Will Smith Smith Aladdin in this movie just is kind of that creepy real kind of Will Smith mm -hmm. CGI. You know, like the, when they make CGI a little too real, it actually creeps us out. <laughs> it does. And uh, <laughs> like it's subconsciously too real and you're just like like the kid in uh, the movie AI or just like, ugh. No thanks. It's just so weird looking. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just know that I'm not going to go see this movie, um, no. unless my well, son. I've already showed son my son the animated 
version. He loves it. So I'm like, great. Of course. You know, of course. Right. Great. We'll and, watch uh, that a bunch of times. But, right. You know, exactly. I'm not going to, I'm not going to subject him to that. So, and you know, just, I don't know what your thoughts are on Will Smith and his career. Oof. Like for the past 10, 15, 20 years, I just, I haven't really, I don't, I can't recall anything that I'm like, Oh, that's, that's the best movie of all time. Like with Will Smith. I just, <laughs> <laughs> well, here's – I mean the thing with Smith is it, it's an interesting career in the fact that he should be done. Like there's – like the missteps that he's had as an actor in Hollywood, like there's there's no coming back from some of these things. And yet he does. And what's interesting about him is like if you take his, you know, 90 – what is it? Like maybe 90 – I would say 95 with Bad Boys to – up till like 2000, like unstoppable, right. unstoppable. Right. And, and then he does this odd thing where he, he go he, he go he does the typical, I'm going to go for an Oscar and then I'm going to do some animated stuff. And then he takes a three year break, which is like in Hollywood, that is a death sentence on your career. Like taking three years off from doing anything whatsoever. Um, like he does this movie called Seven Pounds, which is atrocious. Yeah, and he vanishes for three years. Doesn't come back until Men in Black Three, which was lackluster at best. And um, it's just he's just it's an, it's an interesting, interesting career. Um, and and now he's he's apparently he's doing Bad Boys Four or Bad Boys Three. Yeah. Um, like I'm just like, <laughs> okay, all right, we'll see. And then, of course, Guy Ritchie with talking about missteps, the, the state of both of them combined. It's just like two wrongs don't make a right and <laughs> trying to make this movie. What a weird choice to hire Guy Ritchie, especially after that that uh, King Arthur reboot thing that came out yeah. a year and a half ago. That was terrible. And just it's just the bad Olympics. Like I was. <laughs> I just <laughs> I hate to be harsh. I try to be positive on this podcast, but I mean, Guy Ritchie and Will Smith making Aladdin is just like if you told me that like four years ago, <laughs> I'd laugh you out of the room. I just I don't know who drew this up, who thought this up, and who thought this was going to make money. And and like you said, Chris, who thought that this was at least going to be as good as the cartoon? Or maybe they didn't care. They just needed names attached to it and just go. And mm-hmm. they're and they're and they were the right amount of money to hire. They were just like, Oh, we can get a, a old A-list director, A-list star, and then they'll do this. Great. Great. <laughs> Go, yeah. for Go for it. Go for it. So just... that was my big, so I wanted to talk about two cool things and then one bad thing over the weekend. Thank you. That was good. <laughs> that was a good one. Well, I'm, I want to talk about a good thing this weekend. Um, All right. So I took. Yeah, bring me back. Bring let's, me back. Let's bring it back. <laughs> downer. Man, this is a downing show. Sorry, folks. It's oh. it's thunder and lightning out right now. So that's you know probably why my mood's a little you know melancholy. Should be playing e- Elliot Smith in the background. Um, <laughs> melancholy. That's awesome. Very melancholy here. Um, but anyway, so this weekend, the Memorial Day weekend, took the little guy up to go see uh, Six Flags New England. Excellent. Which, by the way. Folks, if you ever get the offer to do like a Six Flags season pass, not to give them a shameless plug, they pay their weight in gold. It's like 75 bucks for the entire year. You go twice, you basically pay for the thing. So if you live within an hour of this place and you're just bored on a Sunday and you got nothing else to do, just go to Six Flags. For nice. Free. Are you talking free about like in Agrawal, so, Mass, like Riverside? Yeah. Oh, I yep. love that place. Old Riverside. Yeah. So took took the kid up there. 
um, of course, loves every second of it, like going crazy. But um, he loves talking to the superhero characters. So like Batman and like Superman and Wonder Woman when they come into the park and they're dressed in their costumes and stuff like that. He'll go up and like try to have a conversation about with them and stuff like that. It's adorable. And this time we went, it was the Joker and the Riddler. So he was like, who are these guys? And I was like, well, okay, well, these are <laughs> these are bad guys. And I was like, they're not heroes. They're yeah. actually the villains, the bad guys. Right. He's like, oh, okay. And I can see the wheels turning in his head. So when it was his turn in line, he goes up to him and he says, look, you guys need to stop being bad guys. <laughs> and the look on, one, on the Joker's face was like, I've never had a kid say that to me before. Um, I, I Okay, and he just they just started riffing back and forth about like why they they do what they do, and my son was just like, "No, I just like you guys just need to stop being bad guys." So, <laughs> That's great. Um, by the end of it, they 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 were laughing about it. They took a picture and stuff like that. But what I really appreciated was how far these guys went with it. You know, for a five year old kid, they were, they were, they stayed in character. They didn't break once. Um, they actually used you know facts and stories from canon about why they do what they do and it just made me appreciate and having also gone to disney a year before people who do this for, as a job who are characters at amusement parks they you guys have my utmost respect for for the stuff that you have to put up with especially folks that aren't able to kind of slip on a uh head you know like you know hide their face and things like that where you actually really do have to act and perform uh in front of these kids and i i just thought that was amazing and i just think that's a very cool job that can go you know south really quickly and also can be really awesomely rewarding as well but um ben i wanted to get your thoughts have you ever had any like cool interactions with characters in parks with with your son or or even without your son. Uh, yeah, actually I did some, I did some costume work, uh, <laughs> as an actor. I did, uh, there was like this kid day, uh, up at the, uh, learning center where Deacon goes and like, there's like this, uh, dog for this insurance company. Maybe it was United healthcare or something like that. Like this big deputy dog looking thing. And so I had to dance around in that thing and meet all the kids. And you just, you have to give all your energy cause you're in these like hands and feet and you are sweating. I, I remember I almost got heat stroke. <laughs> so many times and just it is so hot and you know you can't you know especially if you have the big head on there's a couple rules you know what i mean you can't take the head off in front of the kids you can't say anything you know what i mean especially yeah. in costume because no one can hear you so it's totally like using your hands and stuff it's like it's using all your acting skills actually like out there like things and you know i got paid for it so it was kind of cool so i mean it is hard work so anytime i see them like i kind of give them a nod like you know, good work, dude. <laughs> Staying in character. I get it's it. Exactly. Brutal. And that was me doing that for like two, three hours. I couldn't imagine doing an eight hour shift on like a hundred degree day at Riverside Park. That'd be crazy. No, thank you. No, my, my wife actually did it for a summer there. Um, when she was in college, she, she auditioned, got it. And she was Sylvester the cat and Tweety nice. Bird at Six Flags all summer. And yeah, to your point, I mean, you're just roasting in that thing. And they, they do like these half an hour, like you're on for half an hour, then you're off, you're on. And it's just, it's just so taxing on your body. I think she lost like 30 pounds. Oh in, yeah. You'll lose, you'll lose summer. 10 pounds in one day. I was just going to say that. Crazy, crazy, man. But yeah, to anybody out there who does that for a living, utmost respect for you. Thank you. But you know what's, uh, you know what, speaking of that, you know, I used to, when I did an internship, a theater internship with um, a bunch of backstage people, they said they did uh, Disney on ice down in uh, South America. Whoa. And they did a tour, like so. Be, doing backstage, they said it was awesome. They said 
you got to travel all around. Some of them did Europe. And so you got to travel. It was good stage crew pay. It was in a union. It was awesome work. And you got to use all your theater school skills and background. They said it was one of the best gigs ever. You kind of lose a couple years of your life. I think you sign on contracted for like a year. Mm-hmm. And this one guy said he went to like Brazil and uh, like all over Chile and then Mexico and all of Central America and South America that he just went everywhere. He said it was one of the coolest experiences of his life. So if, you know, if you are a, you know, um, background artist in the theater world, I, I've heard nothing but good things about the Disney on ice backstage crew. Awesome. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. Awesome, man. What else you got? All right. Let's talk about good stuff because, wow, yeah, we got to get out of that. Okay. That <laughs> funk. Um, so we've been talking about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, and there is a couple stories. I think it was at Con, right? Mm-hmm. Con Film Fest. And um, in this one article, critics are comparing Tarantino's um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to Pulp Fiction and calling it a masterwork. And then in another article, I read that Tarantino isn't scared to bulk up the two-hour and 39-minute runtime even before it's released. He said it went over so well, was met with a standing ovation, he actually might put a couple more scenes in. What are your thoughts on that, Chris? Go for it. Whatever you want to do yeah. your film, do it. <laughs> like, if, yeah, you want, if you want to make half of it in black and white, go for it. I don't care. Like you're, you've er- like He's earned that for me. You know, There's very few directors that have earned – the do whatever you want and I'm with you a hundred percent. He's one of them. And I am so excited for this movie. There is something different when, and we've talked about this before, when actors are working with directors that they revere, not directors that they like or, you know, you know, pleasant to work with that they absolutely revere that they would basically do this movie for free if they could. Um, and that's, that's this type of cast with this type of director, with this type of movie. And, um, I cannot wait. It looks amazing. Each trailer is just better and better. Um, Leo, again, he's just one of those actors that surprises me every single time. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, you know, the, 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 the days of the pretty boy heartthrob of the nineties, those are gone. And, like as much as I, I was like, oh, Titanic, blah blah blah. Like that's that's gone for me. Like that's just a job for him, and I established him, and now he got to do all the stuff he wanted to do after that. So amazing, amazing. I cannot wait for this movie. Yeah, I, I, me, me too, Chris. I, I just think that this is going to be something special. I think we're we're waiting for something big, and I can't wait to do this podcast with you after seeing this and go through our <laughs> rankings again on what is our favorite, you know, what's the list of Tarantino movies. I'm just waiting for him to get a best picture. Like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Good call. It, it's like, give the man an Oscar for God's sakes. He's never, he has, he has a writing Oscar for, I, I believe it was either is, I think it's Django and Jane. He won the Oscar for best screenplay. It might've been Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. One of the two. I don't think Bastards but got anything. I don't think, it got, it got best supporting actor for Christoph Waltz. I okay, know that. Right, right. But, okay, right. Other than that, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think it got anything. I mean, if you look at each one of his films, I just cannot believe that he has he doesn't have the awards that he does. And maybe it's because he's he's that like anti you know Academy establishment type of director that you know those voters those stuffy voters don't typically like to recognize. But, um, 
but it's like if you look at all of his movies find me another director that has a list of movies you know what 10 10 11 movies that are as as widely you know heralded as his are um it's just it's incredible to me that he doesn't he doesn't have the awards that he should yeah i, I and you know you talked about like the academy's kind of stuffiness i mean it reminds me of you know when you do theater or you when you think about what plays you're going to put on in a season, you know, you can't, you have to worry about the season ticket holders. You know what I mean? Like, Ooh, I really Mm -hmm. want to do a David Mamet or something like that, but we can't because we'll, you know, we'll lose the season ticket holders. We might get a bunch of new people in, but they're not our regulars. Um, And like we always say, you know, there is a certain amount of pageantry that comes with winning an Oscar, but you know, for a couple movies now, he's been doing a ton of that stuff. Like he's been doing, you know, um, press releases and going on the press junkets and going on like Stern and stuff like that and doing like full interviews. Mm -hmm. It's not like he's a recluse. It's not like he's like, you know, (laughs) he's sitting here like, um, like some directors that you'll never see an interview with like ever he's out and about and he's very vocal about his opinions. But you know, in that same regard, he's rallied against, a lot of studio BS. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A lot of stuff that he was pissed about when uh, Django and Inglorious Bastards was supposed to be released. Um, how certain theaters wouldn't play it. How certain theaters would like diminish their distribution, even though the, the movies did really good. Um, uh, it, it's just such a shame. I think we're going to get to the end of his career because he keeps saying that this is number nine. He's going to do 10 and that's it. He's done. He's done. And we're going to get to the end and go, wow, not a, not a best picture, not a best director, (laughs) not an Oscar for that at all. And like for this person that, you know, was nominated for best screenplay at Pulp Fiction, 1994, he's had so many great movies since then. And when you talk to people, the movies that weren't nominated like bastards or, you know, the hateful eight and, uh, you know, Jackie Brown, one of my favorites, not nominated for anything, you know, you might catch it in a, a best um, supportive cast member here and there, but for the most part, just ignored, ignored at the Academy, ignored everywhere. And I don't know what that is, Chris. I don't, I don't know if he was ahead of his time, but at this time, at this point in 2019, I thought, I think we're over the swearing thing. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And we're over like, Oh, we can't do that in a movie. We can't say that in a movie. I just don't get what it is. You know, like one of my favorite movies of the past 10 years is that movie whiplash. And there's tons of swearing in that movie and there's tons of just wild stuff going on in that movie. And I don't know, that was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. That was nominated, that was nominated for best picture and, you know, best um, actor and everything. I don't know. Why isn't that, why isn't he heralded as the best director of his generation? I don't know. I don't get it. And, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, he does. I, I was mistaken. He does have two direct, uh, two Oscars for writing. Um, for writing Pulp okay. Fiction and then also writing um, Django Unchanged. Django, that's what I thought. Yeah, like, you were right. It's yeah, just, yeah, it's incredible. Okay, let, let's just use Django for instance. Uh, incredible film. Incredible film. Yep. Just rewatched it for the first time in years. That like there are awesome. scenes in that that are just like perfect. Like the fact that like freaking Leo Di- DiCaprio like literally actually cuts his hand on the glass and st- is bleeding from the hand and still continues the dialogue without breaking. I mean, that was an accident that they just like, that was an, an amazing take. Let's just use it. Um, that's in this movie. The writing is incredible. He doesn't get nominated for best director at all 
that year. I mean, he's not even nominated at all. And you could argue that of the nominees, I mean, uh, you know, Ang Lee for Life of Pi and then Steven Spielberg Ugh. for Lincoln and like even Ugh. David O. Russell's Silver Linings Playbook, which wasn't I, – I, I don't think that was his best movie of that run. No. Like no. you could take all those guys off and put, you know, Quentin Tarantino there and it's just – and he would win. Like I just don't – I don't get it, man. I don't get it. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I understand that some of my opinions, a lot of my opinions are my own, and I have sometimes hot takes on things, and I, I'm a big cult movie guy, and I like horror movies, and I like Bruce Campbell and all this kind of fringy stuff, but I don't think I'm totally off in saying that this guy is awesome at directing. I don't understand. I don't – like, maybe – I, I, maybe I'm just watching the movies differently than everyone, especially the people that vote for the Academy. I, I just see them as triumphs, especially right. in directing. Like they're not just simple run of the mill pictures either. They're very complicated pictures playing with time, playing with multiple characters, playing with like, I don't know, playing with formats that we've seen, you know, playing with the format, the Western playing with the format, the war movie and putting their own spin on it and making it so iconic that it's, some of the people it's some of people's favorite Western movie, some of mm-hmm. people's favorite revenge movie, Django and, and, you know, putting his own spin on it. So he's not doing the same thing you're seeing when you see a Tarantino, movie, you're seeing his own spin on this format, on this genre. And yeah. it's a genre that's been forgotten, you know, especially bastards is definitely like a callback to, you know, these like kind of <laughs> world war two kind of um, exploitation films from like the early seventies, late sixties. And, I don't know. I just, it's just such a shame sometimes what that Academy thing does. But you know what? If you was sitting right here on this podcast, you'd probably say, I don't give a shit. Right. <laughs> I'm just going to make my movie the way I want. I don't give a shit. Well, I loved, I mean, there was some controversy over the weekend where like during a press conference, like some reporter from the New York Times, of course, um, said like, how come you didn't give Margot Robbie a lot of dialogue in this movie? Right. Oh, I and saw that. Like, yeah. And he's like, I reject your hypothesis. Like that was like his, his response. He's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, and it's like, who cares? It's Quentin Tarantino. Whatever dialogue he gives characters, there's a reason. If he doesn't give a character dialogue, my God, what does she do? What else is she doing in this movie? What must be amazing. Like, you know, with her you know, face and oh, yeah. things like that. Well, we like, already I know can't... who she's playing too. So right. that's, yeah, it's going to be iconic in that sense. Like anyway. freaking Robert De Niro and Jackie Brown. What does he have? Like, 10 lines of dialogue like yeah. it's like I mean, he's just... <laughs> my favorite is uh my favorite is uh so do you want to have sex right now <laughs> right. yeah <laughs> that's all he says yeah <laughs> so great yeah you're cool. so i mean there's so many people he's juggling in this picture and uh, yeah the hypothesis is he was being sexist or something like that against her or so i think that's what he was insinuating mm-hmm which, right, is, which just is just stupid. Absolutely like, ridiculous. It's, it's stupid. And it. you know, I, I thought about this, but like there are, there are only really two directors I can think of right now who, when they do a movie, it's an event. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talked about this earlier where like, you know, uh, Marvel films are an event now you, you know, people go to see these movies cause it's an event. There's all, but we very rarely see that with directors where it's like, you know, you got to see this movie because it's, it is an event. He's one of them. Yep. And the other, the other is Christopher Nolan and that's it. Christopher Nolan. I knew you were going to say that. Or Guy Ritchie. I knew you were going to say <laughs> Guy that. Guy Ritchie, of course. Got to, got to see that King Arthur. He's going to come down to my basement and kick my ass at any second. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
screwing Vinnie Jones with him too. Um, oh shit, Billy Tooth Tony coming down to my basement. Um, but yeah, like the like those two those two directors. That's that's it. Like that they're they're events to be seen, and um, yeah, it's incredible. So yeah, it, it's just I don't know. I don't know why some people are respected in one way or uh, I don't know. I've been trying to guess at this thing. And, you know, I thought that we were coming around in this day and age where we're having comic book movies. And I'm like, hey, the nerd, you know, the nerd is chic now. You know what I mean? Like, I actually, (laughs) it's not just me talking about this stuff. Like, there's people going to see these movies and I can talk about the Infinity Gauntlet, all this stuff that I've known for years. And I can talk about Bruce Campbell and I can talk about Nicolas Cage. And I don't know. There's yeah. still some kind of gaps in the logic in my head as far as who we celebrate as filmmakers and who we think and what we think as what a good film is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When a, a good film to me is something that, you know, I, I've had many discussions with my friends, you know, something that stands the test of time. You know what I mean? Something that, you know, we talk about in this in this day and age of, you know, the hashtag movements and the anti whatever discrimination movements. There's some movies that don't stand up because of their language. You know what I mean? They say some things that are not PC anymore, but then there's some movies that still hold up that are still just sitting there and just rocking and rolling and still as funny as they ever were. I, I watched clerks for the first time like this year in like years and it was still absolutely dropped dead funny. Amazing. Like, maybe even funnier now that I'm older <laughs> and pick up on a lot more stuff than I did when I was 14. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> exactly. Love it, man. Love it. Well, actually that, that segues nicely into my next topic actually. Um, was I saw Booksmart this weekend. I saw that. How was it? Let's see your review because I might go see that or John Wick 3 again this week. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Both good choices. Um, yes. Dude, I got to be honest. It is it is the funniest movie I've seen so far this year. It is also strangely very touching and relatable. Even though you're watching two female characters going through their, their you know, last night before their graduation, um, a lot of that stuff felt relatable as a as a male so it was just a really really awesome movie um if i could buy stock in anybody's career right now would be beanie feldstein who interestingly enough is she looks great in it she's amazing she's jonah hill's sister um she's she's killing on on what we do in the shadows as well i mean she's just all over the place um she's incredible in this uh the the other actress her, her name escapes me off the top of my head but she's amazing great supporting cast you've got SNL alums all over the place because you know, the movie's directed by Olivia Wilde who's um, married or engaged to Jason Sudeikis who okay, by the yep, way is, I knew that yep. he's incredible in this he's got like two scenes and they're just unbelievable but you've got a bunch of people in this just kind of just pitch again it's one of those movies that just people are just pitching in you know doing favors and helping out but it all works out really smartly written. Um, definitely, you know, I think for a young woman seeing this film, it's, it's going to be really, really awesome for them, uh, because a lot of it speaks directly to them, um, in, in hilarious ways, you know, left and right. So again, I definitely highly recommend that movie. It's, it's hilarious. That's awesome. I I can't wait to go see it. I'm really excited for that one. That's great. And that's all I just wanted to plug. I just wanted to plug. No, it's great. No. and, And you know, there's definitely not enough high school movies in the past 10 years. No. Um, Lady well, Bird I thought was about great. The, I love Lady Bird. Lady Bird was great. Oh, Lady Bird was phenomenal. That was such like, a great flick. It was, it, you know, I, I posted this on Facebook. Like, it's crazy that like a brother and sister have now both starred in two of probably the best high school films of, of this century. Period. And twelve years apart from one another, by the way. So that's like that's you have Super Bad, 
which kind of launches Jonah Hill into the stratosphere. And now you've got Booksmart, which I think will do the same for Beanie Feldstein. And just unbelievable, unbelievable performance. So yeah, yeah. And that, that, Go see that that Jonah Hill, uh, the super bad movie was on my mind because there's this, um, there's a great YouTube video of uh, Seth Rogen going through his career because he wrote super bad and stuff like that. And, talked about making the movie with Jonah and being the the cop in the movie with Bill Hader. Yeah. Such a, that's, yep. Those are some of my favorite scenes like ever. <laughs> those scenes definitely hold up. There's a scene in Booksmart. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but there's a scene in Booksmart where um, it's a drug, it's a drug scene and it is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, flat out. Like it's just okay. crying. I was crying because it was so funny. So that's excellent. Yeah. Can't wait. Can't wait for you to see it. It's gonna be awesome. Excellent. So what else you got, my man? What's your number right. five? Yeah, number five. Um, read this on uh, Geek Tyrant today. Um, Marvel is considering introducing Deadpool into the MCU and possibly the next Spider-Man film. Oh. <laughs> uh, report says that Marvel is currently looking at or a few different options to introduce Deadpool into the MCU. Things include a new solo film such as Deadpool 3, a Disney Plus limited series, or guest starting in guest starring in spider-man 3 chris what are your thoughts on that there's deadpool in a disney movie i don't like it and i'll uh, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and here's why um okay i i love the fact that deadpool was kind of off on the side doing his own thing because he could do his own thing right and i feel like bringing him into the fold first of all with the way that these movies are connected and and I'm sure they're going to try to connect, you know, the next phase for something. Um, I, I don't know if I like him being inserted into that. I kind of like him being on the outside, almost like giving commentary on the whole thing and almost making fun of the, you know, fun of it in a way. Right, and I right, just right. feel like if they bring him in, it's going to be somewhat neutered. Cause again, I mean, it's Disney, it's Marvel. Now it's part of the MCU. So there's kind of a greater responsibility for these characters. And I don't know if I want to see that out of Deadpool. I like, I, again, I just like that filthy, you know, that, that hardcore R rated, you know, version of him. And I don't know if you're going to get that if he's, if he's appearing in the MCU. Well, you're definitely not. You're, you, you'll, it'll be like a, a watered down kind of thing. And maybe possibly Ryan Reynolds wouldn't sign on for that. You know what I, I mean? I, I, yeah. I could see him saying, nah, it's okay. Like where, and also logistically. Okay. Let me get to the logistics of everything. Deadpool is, one of the strongest superheroes of all time, just logistically. Yeah. He, he cannot be killed. Like if you literally throw him in a wood chipper, turn him into like powdered dust, throw him into space, he'll come back. I mean, he is indestructible. He is constantly regenerating and just constantly there. And that's his gag. That's why I was, I was actually talking to um, my creative writing class about why Deadpool is a comedy. You know what I mean? He, he is a tragic character. Because he, in fact, dies. You know what I mean? He, and then he dies a bunch of times in the second one. But the reason why it's so funny and such a, a true comedy, as, as far as like you know, Shakespeare tragedy comedy, the reason why it's such a, a comedy is because he's, in, he's immortal. Right. No matter what he does, no matter how silly he is, going up to the juggernaut and getting ripped in half, you're laughing because you know he's going to just you know waddle back to his <laughs> legs and reattach him. Yep. Uh, and that's why it's so incredibly funny. But someone like that in the MCU, if you were logistically putting him in, nothing would be a threat to the world anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like in the Deadpool comics, there's there's one. I forget the name of this one. 
I'm looking behind me at my comics right now. Um, but there's one where he takes on the whole like Scree army and they're coming in and he just takes on like millions of them. He's just sitting there killing them. And it's just a joke because they might shoot him with a laser and blast off his arm or something. But he, then he just cuts them with the other one. And we saw this in it. And that's why it's so ridiculous and over the top and where you have to make it less about his mortality and what the bad guy is going to do to the earth and more about his love story and more about, you know, his character and why he does the certain things he does. And I don't know if that really fits into the MCU as we know it right now. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. That's, that's my, that's my biggest qualm. And then of course, what you said, you know, the, the language and everything would be watered down. We've seen Disney do this so many times, like buy these properties and then squash them. You know what I mean? Even, you know, like my beloved uh, Clerks, the animated series, <laughs> airing oh. like one and a half times and then being canceled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and then the only time you got to see it was on a DVD that came out two and two, three years later. Um, so there's so many times that this happens uh, and then they just kill these creative properties. And I just hope that just, this doesn't happen with this. I agree. I agree. Fingers crossed. Fingers yep. crossed. All right. Well, for my last one, um, kind of a different spin into the world of sports entertainment. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to talk about wrestling real quick. Um, All over, right. Nice. Over the weekend, uh, we had an incredible event take place in Las Vegas called Double or Nothing, which is from the brand new startup uh, f- uh, wrestling company called AEW, All Elite Wrestling, which has actually been founded by the son of the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So okay. um, it's like, have you ever seen the show Glow on Netflix? Yeah. Where it's like the, it's founded by the son of this like rich family, basically the same thing, um, you know, except like, it's a plot in real life. It's, excellent. it's exactly the way it's real life. Um, but they had their first pay per view, and my god, it was incredible, top to bottom. Really, like some of the best professional wrestling uh, you will ever see, because it's guys understanding like the importance of you know launching this company the right way, and basically doing everything that the WWE is doing or, or is not doing basically. And so you're getting like nonstop action, less, you know, stupid, silly storylines and more about like the human characters. Like, you know, these characters have a feud because they actually don't like each other for this reason and that reason, rather than trying to come up with something. Um, and it's just unbelievable pay-per-view. Um, I don't like to plug out, uh, you know, bootlegs or things like that. But if, if you wanted to watch the entire pay-per-view for free, YouTube has it basically. Okay. So I'm just going to throw that out there. But so AEW? Again, the is that what it's AEW. called? AEW. AEW. Okay. It's unbelievable what these guys are doing. Um, and as a wrestling fan, a lot of people are like, you know, now it's like, okay, we're going back to the Monday Night Wars between, you know, WWE and WCW and you have to pick a side and blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, you know what? No, now is an amazing time to be in a, a wrestling fan because now you've got two different companies um, doing co- two completely different things. And you you can enjoy you can really in, embrace both, and um, I, I'm just really excited. So the new the new television deal for AEW starts this coming October. Uh, they're going to be broadcasting on TNT on Wednesday nights. Whoa. I cannot wait! I am so excited. Uh, it's going to change the industry a lot because you've already got former WWE um wrestlers that are signing with AEW you've got you know current WWE wrestlers whose contracts are about to expire they've basically said the second I'm done here I'm going to audition for for AEW if they want me so it's it's going to be a really interesting time for professional wrestling and I cannot wait 
That is crazy, Chris. That's a crazy reporting thing that you're reporting. Uh, so what kind of, so you, so you said more action. Is it more? Yeah. So like high, I would say high risk maneuvers. Okay. So WWE has this thing where they are very, um, limited in terms of what you can do in terms of moves so they don't like guys they don't like anything that basically looks like a guy's landing on the top of his head uh, because they famously had one of their wrestlers get paralyzed back in the day right um they don't like certain moves outside the ring and things like that so what's interesting is a lot of these guys as they're training and develop their personalities and develop their moves when they get to wwe they basically are told okay you can't do this you can't do that you can't do this What's interesting, and also there's no blood allowed anymore in the WWE. Right. They don't want to do any blood. Um, so what's interesting is you go back to w, you know AEW, they're basically said, no, no, we want you to be who you are as a wrestler, and we'll try to make we'll make it work here, and we'll just have you work with guys that you know how to work with. Um, so this way, you're not seeing, I, I guess you could say, the watering down of of the moves so you the techniques the skill sets you know these legendary you know wrestlers that have been doing crazy things in japan you're actually getting to see all their 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 full arsenal of stuff and it's non-stop there's no uh what are called throwaway matches where basically they serve as bathroom breaks for right, audiences right, and stuff right. like that it's just non-stop non-stop so i cannot wait um to see what this does you know for the industry and, and also what's e- even cooler is they're also hiring wrestlers that are not the norm that we'd see from the WWE. So, you know, WWE famously likes big, you know, muscular people or, you know, that perfect form of a wrestler. But if you look at AEW and you watch some of their events, you'll see guys that, Ben, you probably have a nicer physique than they do. Nice. But yet, but yet, you know, they're, they're amazing athletes and they're doing these incredible moves. I don't know, Chris, you haven't seen me in a couple of years. It's it's true. Yeah. What I remember that is, um, <laughs> but they're also hiring like a the diversity is is amazing. You've got a, like a full range of different people from sizes to races, and really the first like over the top, um, openly gay wrestler that I can remember. Um, a lot of the times these guys they come out of the closet after they they stop working, right, but this right, guy right. is openly gay very flamboyant uh his name's sunny kiss he's incredible <laughs> like and he is he is he, he, like there's no mistaking like that he's gay when he's in the ring like he uses that to his advantage and it's just but it's in a, in a positive non-stereotypical way but it's awesome so like again i love the inclusivity of aew i think again it's going to change the industry 100 percent. so folks if you're not down with aew yet and you're a wrestling fan, please get on it. But even, like I said, even if you're a WWE fan, it's a great time for that because now it's going to force the WWE to rethink you know, their stuff and get better as a program too. So again, it's just like the best time to be a wrestling fan. That's great. Great stuff. That's awesome. There you go. All right, man. So let's go YouTube. Let's go YouTube, baby. What, <laughs> all right. I'm going to go real quick because I know you usually have some really awesome things. <laughs> so I've just got – Two, I want to throw at you real quick. All right, I, I got a couple. I don't have that many this week. So. Oh, okay, all right. But you usually, usually, you go deep, which I love. I do, so yeah, the I'm, first I'm one deep in this YouTube, <laughs> I, I go deep down first, the river. <laughs> I love it. So, do you know the the website Screen Rant or the YouTube channel Screen Rant at all? Uh, yeah, I've seen a couple of them. Yep, they do a couple, you know, good movies. They do a great thing called pitch meetings, um, where it's this one guy but he's playing two different roles. He's playing a screenwriter who's pitching a movie and the movie executive that would approve it. But yet they're, they're, they're going back and, and doing 
usually pretty bad movies. So they jokingly talk about like the writer pitching how you know this movie and the and the executive picking it apart, being like, "Don't you think that's a bad idea?" I don't know. Who cares? Let's move on. Um, <laughs> you know, so they do it to like Daredevil and stuff like yeah. that, and they just start picking things apart. Uh, it's hilarious. So if you get a chance, definitely look up like the pitch meeting screen rant. I saw I saw um the end of Game of Thrones one. The season eight. Yes. Yeah, that was great. Like a season eight <laughs> that was, pitch. That was great. That's a good one. Season eight pitch. Um, the second one is I want to, you mentioned it before, but I want to talk about John Wick three real quick. Yes, sir. Incredible movie, obviously. What's even more incredible is available online on YouTube is you can watch Keanu Reeves and Holly Berry training for the movie. And for those of you out there that think, oh, like stunt, stunt people must have done that or, you know, CGI and stuff like, no, no, no. Like all the shooting that you saw in that movie, that was done by Keanu and Holly Berry. Um, they show the training sequences that they had to go through, the, the target shooting, the reloading. Um, it's incredible. And it's like one of those like, oh my God, Keanu can do that for real. And uh, the, in a kind of a segue to a second video attached to that, they took this guy who is a um, special forces like SWAT team commander and they had him watch sequences of John Wick to like grade how Keanu's handling weapons and things like that and the combat scenes. And he basically says that's the most accurate like portrayal of combat I've ever seen on, on screen, like in terms of how you hold a gun, how you reload, how you engage with someone. Um, it's, it's just, it's a really cool video to watch. Cause he's like, uh, yeah, that's an A plus. Like, that's awesome. That's great. He's like, I could, I could take that guy. I could take Keanu and put him in my SWAT team classes and he would hold, he would, you know, hold himself up with the rest of the guys. So awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. And it's, it is something cause you know, just being an actor and I've been on a set where there was a weapons master. I had to have like a weapon on me and stuff. I had no idea what I was doing. Like absolutely no idea. And this guy who was the weapon master was, um, he was an ex cop and stuff. And, uh, he totally made me feel like a worthless little toddler when it came to weapons. <laughs> he was like, you don't, you want to hold your, uh, you don't want to hold your gun right here. And I'd be like, why not? And he'd like totally like grab it out of my hands and stick it right into my face and go, that's why. And I'll be like, Oh my God. <laughs> like, I just be like, <laughs> like pee myself. So it's, it's gotta be crazy. And I remember like when the first one came out with seeing Keanu's training video and that one. And then, yeah, I saw the, the Halle Berry Keanu one it was just unbelievable what they did to do this. It's just awesome. Awesome stuff. There you go. There you go. All right, man, what do you got? All right. So uh, really quick, all right, I'll do a couple really quick ones. Uh, but there's actually speaking of John Wick three, uh, there's John Wick's New York City by Patrick Williams. So it's 11 minutes, 28 seconds. Um, and he goes to all the locations featured on Manhattan and in New York City, like Brooklyn Ooh. Bridge and stuff like that. Really cool. And he does this great. It's a great little video essay and talks about how John Wick is the new New York City movie, you know, a movie that encompasses the city, shows you all parts of the city and just kind of you know brings breathes life into the the city like when people think of new york city it's kind of cool to think of it as this underground uh palace filled with assassins it was really cool <laughs> great video um then uh, there's a howard stern extended late show interview on uh, stephen colbert 30, 34 minutes really great interview I, I was going to just watch a couple minutes and i just got hooked and he talks about his new book and he talks about his parents and um, him and Steven get into some heady topics. It was great. Uh, that's a 34 minute. And then 
the big one this week I want to talk about. There's okay. a guy that I've been watching for years. Um, the, the channel's called Collative Learning, and his name is Rob Agger. R-O-B-A-G-E-R, Rob Agger. He has this hour and 21-minute, uh, it's got it. I don't know how to call it. It's just this breakdown of the movie Vertigo. And he goes through the movie Vertigo and all the symbolism, all the things Hitchcock put in to make you think the way you do, the way the movie messes with your mind, um, all the visual concepts and storytelling that are out on the screen just visually. And Vertigo is just this weird movie. And it's been on my mind because there's a podcast called Unspooled with, um, with uh, oh my God, what's his face? Do, 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 do. Unspooled with... Um, Oh my God, Chris! <laughs> Andre Andre from the league is oh uh, Paul Shear, Paul Shear and his yes, wife. Thank, yeah, thank you. you. Yep. Wow, totally brain fart. Um, so that's a great podcast, and they just recently did their Vertigo episode because they're going through the AFI top 100 films. Um, so Vertigo has been on my mind, and then there's this hour 21 breakdown of the 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 weird dream sequences in the movie, what it means, what's what's the symbolism behind everything, and Rob Eger has a great YouTube page. The first video I love to show people is he breaks down the construction of the overlook hotel and the shining and how that the layout of like the floor plan of the hotel really creeps you out and brings a creepiness to the film. So he does the same kind of treatment with vertigo. Um, I'm halfway through it. I got to dig back in. I think I got a half hour into this thing. It's an epic video. Hour 21 breakdown of the movie vertigo. If you love the movie vertigo, listen to unspooled and listen to this. It'll give you a higher appreciation for such a great movie. That's awesome. I think I saw one of his videos. It was like an analysis of Scarface and like the death of Tony Montana. Um, yes, totally. Oh yeah. 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 I saw that. Yeah. That was great. I think it was like, it was I a couple, it was like a couple weeks ago, but I, yeah, I was just scrolling through it. Incredible. Incredible. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and he goes through like him, um, when he kills his sister and stuff yes. and what that yep. means and the guy like creeping behind him and just the surrealism of it all. Like, I love how, like when you're watching that movie as a kid or, you know, younger, you're like, all right, what's going on? Why is, you know, why is he able to take all these bullets? You know, he's obviously not wearing a vest and, and it's to just enhance the surrealness of life down in Miami at mm. the time. I mean, and it, it, that breakdown really tells you like what's going on. And you hear stories nowadays how they would have to close down sets because real life cocaine dealers and <laughs> like like crazy like cartel guys would roll up and like mess with like the actors like thinking that they were like shooting like gang members and stuff. And so that was really going on in Miami when they shot that movie at the time. So. Amazing. And I, I also love the fact that he's doing it on Vertigo because that movie is incredible. Um and it's what what I love about Vertigo is like to the untrained eye, it's a very kind of like I don't know what's the word like it's it's boring. I mean, it's slow. It's movie. a boring movie, yeah. right? It's a slow moving movie. But then when you really start breaking it down, you start studying it and looking at it. It just takes a whole new life, which is awesome. So um, I gotta I gotta watch that uh, video because that's gonna be awesome. Yeah, and the and the podcast me. is great too. And they talk about how. Vertigo was definitely not well received at the time. It was like slammed by the critics, like slammed. Right. And Paul Shear makes a great point. He goes, imagine if, if Vertigo was well received in 1958, it was well received and it went over well in the box office. What kind of movies would Hitchcock make post that? You know what I mean? He kind of went back 
he kind of tightened up after that. You know what I mean? Because Vertigo is definitely a surreal movie. I mean, it plays with like Freudian psychology. It it plays with symbolism. It doesn't really make any sense. The plot is kind of uh, it's kind of unrealistic what happens in the movie, and it, it's it borders on David Lynchian. And it borders on like Dario Argento, that kind of symbolism. It doesn't really make any sense. If, and if you're just watching it with like a plot and you'd be like, well, this movie's flawed because no way they could have pulled this heist or this scheme off without them. No- you're supposed to just let it go. And it's, it's supposed to be like a dreamlike state. So it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And every time I see it, I see something different and I love it. That's awesome, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, that was, that was quick. I don't know. I mean, we've been talking for about an hour and a half, but that felt quick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. We covered quite you a did, bit. Did um, real quick before we, we sign off. Anything you want to plug? Any announcements? Anything? Anything at all? Oh uh, well, yeah. I just uh, I finally, like I said last week, I finally put up. Um, I would call it an album, but um, it's called. I put out something. It's called the Co- Coffin City Monologues, and it's about where I live here in Central New York. It's a bunch of poems and monologues that I put out, and I set them to music, and it's about like forty something minutes. Um, and I put that right up to YouTube. So if you search coffin city monologues, it comes right up. And if you search live nude swearing, my whole page comes up where you can see my liked videos and stuff. So I've been working on it for a while. I'm going to say about year and a half, all the pieces and stuff. And I try to deliver them in different, uh, tones and pitches. And I think I talked about it last week, how, um, you know, after I've been writing for a while, I've noticed that I just, I'm creating monologues, like self-involved kind of monologues that have an arc to them. So people feel free to take them and uh, use them for your audition pieces or something like that. That would make me so proud. So there you go. That's awesome. That's awesome. And what, uh, one thing I want to definitely plug um, is, I don't know, Ben, I, I know you probably saw this real quick. We just started a brand new Facebook page for this podcast uh, on Facebook. So not only will all the podcasts be posted on there, but also um, all of our you know videos from YouTube and just any, anything that, um, you know, is out there right now in, in terms of entertainment. We're going to be posting a lot. So I'm going to make Ben um, a an admin on on the page. So Ben, feel free to just go crazy on this on this Facebook awesome. page. Nothing but Guy Ritchie news all the time. Just yeah, exactly, just all Guy Ritchie stuff, no matter what. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, just it definitely go there. So for 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 those of you just just do a search desperately seeking entertainment um, on Facebook, you'll see our Facebook page. Like it. Um, and then, like I said, we're going to, we're going to have a ton of, you know, content going up on there pretty soon. So. Oh, that's great, Chris. Cause people are looking for like an outlet for this pod so they can make comments and stuff like that. So that'll be awesome. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil this for you because it's going to be a surprise when you hear the final product, but this podcast is going to sound a lot different than some previous podcasts. So. We're going to have like lasers and stuff behind us or something. I, I can't, explosion. I can't tell you. It's going to be a surprise <laughs> to you, my friend. Like you, you ever heard, uh, you ever you ever heard the band Run the Jewels? You ever heard those yes. guys, the rap, yes. rap guys? You ever heard Meow the Jewels? <laughs> <laughs> no. They remixed their second album, and it's just called Meow the Jewels. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, and it's just every every beat on it is different cats purring and, and <laughs> meowing, and then they bleep all the swears out and put meow in there, and it's kind of awesome and on Spotify. So is that what you're going to do? <laughs> Maybe we'll see. I now, now, now you really put me in a situation. So um, that's awesome though. That's awesome. Well, folks, thanks so much for listening this week. We really appreciate it. Sorry for the melancholy mood. at yeah. the early part of this, but we trench warfare, you trench know? warfare and you know, people dying and 
just it's it's that time of year. <laughs> no, it isn't. It's springtime. Springtime. She's really happy, but I'm not, and I don't know why. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> we'll, all right. We'll we'll see you folks next week right here on Desperately Seeking Entertainment. Mm-hmm.